0: at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Let's turn our Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 11 this evening and see how far we get. In the first segment of the chapter, which is verses 1 through 18, Acts 11, 1 through 18, Peter Uh, I say in my title, Peter explains himself, (laughs) Uh, although in a sense he's explaining God, uh, who doesn't really need any explanation in a way, but the gentleman uh, among whom he was ministering, partners with them in the church in Jerusalem, uh, were a little bit off base and needed some help. So God's work among the Gentiles is confirmed in this passage, Acts 11, 1 through 18. Let me read the section and then we'll... Touch on some details. It says, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So you have to kind of remember your layout of the book of Acts, chapter 10, Cornelius, all that stuff going on with him. We've finished in our study, but now that's happened, and the apostles and brothers in Judea heard this. Somehow word had gotten to them. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, verse 2 says, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea, Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, "'Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved.' And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning." Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God also has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Wow. That's a great encouragement there. Uh, but let's go through it in order somewhat as Peter went through the whole situation in order. Notice that the text, uh, well, let me back up for a second. For some reason, Simon Peter didn't travel back to Joppa where he had come from. Remember, he was at Joppa in the home of another guy who happened to be named si- named Simon and uh, Tanner. And so, That's where he was when these men summoned him. But he didn't go back there. He went back to Jerusalem by and by. And there Peter was in trouble with his Jewish friends because he went into a Gentile home and ate with Gentiles. In chapter 10, verse 28, the scripture told us, uh, Peter recounted here, um, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So it wasn't a kosher thing for a Jewish person before this to go to uh, have a meal with a Gentile. So first of all, verses 1 through 3, the Jewish believers responded to this with criticism. They responded with criticism. Notice the text speaks of two groups, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea. Then in verse 2, Luke mentions this. He says, when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. Now, he had used this phrase circumcision in chapter 10, verse number 45. Let me just read that because that'll help us understand what this means. And those of the circumcision who believed, this is in Cornelius' house now, those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. As well, so the circumcision here refers to Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians now circumcision could be a bad word, or it could just be a neutral word. Here it's neutral, saying we're talking about Jewish Christians. They're of the circumcision; that is, they're Jewish, and they're they believe. So they're uh, believing Jewish people or Christian Jews, and. Uh, So we don't have to read into it necessarily that these are of a circumcision party like you read about and say what book in the New Testament. Remember what book talks about the circumcision? Anybody but Jansen may answer the question. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's right. The circumcision party. Anybody know? It's Galatians, that's right. Yeah, I said Jansen couldn't say because he preached through that book. Uh, if he remembers, I think he does. <laughs> um, so uh, circumcision was, is a negative, has a negative connotation there in, in Galatians. And we'll see maybe why that is in a moment. So uh, these were the Jewish Christians who had traveled with Peter from Joppa to Caesarea in chapter 10. They saw the situation before their own eyes unfolding. You know, they knew what was going on. They couldn't argue with what God was doing, but their compatriots in Jerusalem, I believe also Jewish Christians, didn't see all of that and were not up to speed on what happened. And so I take it that they were a subset of the brethren in verse 1. You have the apostles and you have the brethren, and many of those brethren were of the circumcision, maybe all of them in fact at this point because there might not have been many uh, Samaritans or Gentiles in the bunch there, in Judea, particularly in Judea we're talking about. So the apostles and brothers heard in Judea about the situation ahead of Peter's return to Jerusalem. Remember, Peter stayed with them a few days in 1048. So it seems like news traveled fast enough that it got to Jerusalem before Peter did, okay? This gave them a little bit of time to mull over the situation, but unfortunately, they didn't have the same insights that Peter had. They didn't have the uh, revelation that Peter had from the vision. They didn't have the experience that the, the witnesses had who went with them. Consequently, they responded hastily in a wrong way. They did not know the full information yet. And so we come to, again, one of those situations where we've got to, be careful, it's hard, I know. Be careful to listen to all the story before we draw conclusions. Uh, Proverbs 18, 13. It says here in verse number two, the brothers of the circumcision contended with Peter. Now, I want you to just have this in your mind. This was the initial reaction. They contended with Peter. That, that word means they they, they took issue with Peter. They had a difference, a strong difference with Peter. They had, a, in fact, a dispute with Peter. The uh, same word is used in Jude, one chapter in Jude, verse 9, when Michael the archangel disputed with the devil over the body of Moses. They had a dispute over that, an argument, a difference, a contention, a criticism the circumcision brothers were firmly opposed to what he had done and were criticizing him for it. These were Jewish believers who still had to get over the idea that Gentiles were pariahs or you know, some kind of a different caste kind of an idea. Some of these circumcision folks didn't get the message right away and perhaps because they held tenaciously to the Mosaic law, they became a splinter group. And that splinter group becomes a problem by Acts chapter 15, where there are some even in that group who said in uh, verse, uh, let's see, verse number uh, 5 of Acts 15, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. These Gentiles have to keep the law to be saved, they said. They were wrong about that. But if that idea is correct, that this, some of these people kind of continued to hang on to that Mosaic code, they, they might have become more extreme in their doctrine and unbiblical and not responded well to the Acts 15 Council, which settled the matter for the church and for all of future history after that. There are still some folks today who don't seem to accept the Jerusalem Council decision. People who follow the Hebrew roots movement, for example, seem to be of this general sort. You know, we've got to get back to the Hebrew roots, the the early Jewish roots of Christianity and keeping the law and, and all of that sort of thing. It's another variation of this. Well, the believers in Jerusalem were obviously upset by what Peter did. They assumed that it was all Peter's doing. You went in to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. What are you doing, Peter? They didn't realize that God directed the whole situation behind the scenes. They assumed that God had nothing to do with all of it. Let me draw, before we move on to verse 4, let me draw a couple of applications here. First of all, the hasty response. It can be very often a faulty response. Uh, things are all very complicated in this world. The, we don't know everything about everybody or everything about anybody or everything about the one person that we're talking to. And so, you know, sometimes by luck, you might happen upon a, a, an answer or a response that is fitting, without knowing all the information, but we should have patience and we should know all the facts or try to at least before we jump to a conclusion. But as I said earlier, that is hard to do sometimes, isn't it? We want to prescribe a, you know, we want to make a prescription. We want to uh, tell the answer. We want to give the counsel. We want to straighten the person out or whatever. And um, hopefully we can be gracious with one another and wait, recognize that, we do not know everything that we ought to know. This is why the Lord says don't judge anything before the time because God will bring everything to light that needs to be brought to light. So we have to be cautious about that. But don't be hasty. That's the, that's the point. You're going to see the, these guys don't necessarily eat crow, but they kind of eat crow by the end of the section here. Uh, second application, our responses need to be based on the truth of what God is doing and what God has revealed, not on what we think at the moment. These men needed the full story about what God's work was going to accomplish and what it was trying to do so they could make a proper evaluation of what happened. So again, not a hasty response. You need the full story, but then the full story has to be based on God's truth. It has to be based on the, the Word of God before you're going to make a correct analysis of it. And then thirdly, the idea of this contention was somewhat unpleasant to speak of or think of. But as in this case, we should look for ways to turn the unpleasant contention into a beneficial situation. Okay, so there's a contention about this. What is the root of it? What's the actual answer? What's the real information? And so this contention and the biblical answer to it served to solidify the church's doctrine. What was that doctrine that was developing was that Gentiles can be part of this church body. So it helped to solidify that, this contention did by the correct biblical answer, and to strengthen the church in its unity between Jews and Gentiles. So it was good, in a way, that there was this contention because it it turned the opinion of the contending party toward what it needed to be. They were wrong, they got straightened out, and then they changed their ways. So the contention turned out to be good in a way, but not all contention, obviously, in this world ends up that way. Much contention just remains contention and criticism and fighting and all of that. Okay, Acts 11 now, verses 4 to 17. Peter reviews now what happened. So this is really like, you know, rewind and uh, kind of summarize chapter 10. So he gives the setup for it in verses 4 to 12. He explained the vision, how it affected his understanding about the cleanliness of these formerly unclean foods. And it seems to me that he's drawn now this very clear connection between three times the vision... And three men who come to his front door, three and three i can 't call any of them unclean they 're all they 're all uh, made okay by God. God says, "Go without doubting, and so they went. God was doing something significant about the gentiles was his message to Peter, and uh, so Peter went now notice at the end of verse um, 12, it says, moreover, these six brothers accompanied me and we entered the man's house. So he runs over, you know, two days journey very quickly, just kind of skips that because it's not significant to the story. And he says, I had six guys with me. Now, what's the significance of that? Well, in Deuteronomy 19.15 is laid down a principle that is a good principle for jurisprudence for all ages, In Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Two or three witnesses. Even today, courts are, how can I say, judicially challenged, maybe mentally challenged, to recognize that you can't just have one person say something against another, take their word, and then run with it. Okay, that's happening today. It should not. It ought not happen, not according to God's righteousness. Um, So six witnesses, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six. Do you think it's enough to verify what Peter is saying? God made sure that at this critical juncture, it wasn't just Peter going there and doing what he did and come back and explain himself, but he had six other witnesses, plus the ones who were there. Remember, we said there were maybe dozens of people there altogether. So this is, I think, critical because it reminds us that we have a faith that is a well-justified, eyewitnessed faith. This isn't made up. You know, Peter says, you know, we have this sure word of prophecy, and in fact, we saw with our own eyes Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, there's three witnesses right there. Those witnesses wrote down the scriptures during the lifetime of other witnesses. I remember I said this on Sunday afternoon. And this and the writings had to do with the fulfillments of specific prophecies that were made by other prophets in the past. We're dealing with a well-justified system of belief. No Christian should say, I'm making a leap out into the dark, a leap of faith to kind of cross the gap of the unknown. No, it's well-known. It's well-known. God has made sure that that is the case. Yes, you say, well, that sounds incredible that there was this vision that Peter recounts. Okay, so Peter knew it, Luke knew it, God recorded it through Luke. But even if you have a question about that, look at this, six witnesses saw everything that happened and all the testimony of it. Okay, um, so then the visit, set up for the visit, then the visit itself. Notice the men were concerned about Peter going into the home of uncircumcised men and eating with them. Have you ever had a situation where somebody is fixated fixated on an unimportant detail? That's what's happening here. Like you went in with these men and ate with them. I can can almost imagine myself saying, yeah, but God was saving their souls for eternity when I did that. So what's the big deal if I went in and greeted them and, and ate with them? It's a nothing burger, as they say. It doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's insignificant. God was doing something significant with the Gentiles. He was working with the gospel. And that's an important lesson for us. Not that we just excuse sin. We're not talking about excusing sin whatsoever. We're talking about excusing the minor details and the things that don't matter for the bigger things. Uh, another word of application. You know, we can be twisted up in knots about this or that secondary thing when we compare it to what God is doing here, spreading the missionary message of the gospel to a new people. And maybe this is part of the answer. As we're at a prayer meeting tonight, uh, why some of our prayers, you you say, well, why 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 isn't God answering those prayers? Well, maybe those prayers are are praying about the things like. Going into with these people and, and eating with them, not the important things like the gospel you know we we've often and I tried to model this this evening often pray for people's physical healing when it's manifestly not God's will for somebody to be physically healed they may be they may be healed by going to heaven. we've said that many times before, and so you know I don't want to cast shade on anybody um, you know praying for somebody to be healed or To have their pain and suffering relieved, I think those are good things, but it may well be the case that God is going to allow some of our people that we're praying for to die. And the most important thing is that the gospel is at the forefront in their lives. So keep that in mind as a kind of high-priority matter in our prayer time and in our work with people. So Peter learned now that God was giving salvation to the Gentiles he was just beginning to get up to speed on this whole idea that the church is a multi-ethnic single body. Okay? It's not a, the, the, the church is not a multi-ethnic multi-body. You know, there's not a Jew church and a Gentile church. You with me? Okay. And it's not a uni-ethnic single body. Like the Jews can be in the church, but the Gentiles are out. Sorry. No, that's not it either. Now notice this uh, next interesting thing. Uh, Verse 14 uh, call for Peter. He's going to tell words by which uh, you must all be saved. That was the explanation at the time when Peter showed up. And then notice verse 15. And as I began to speak, this fascinated me. Because in verse 34, Peter in verse sorry, chapter 10, verse 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, and then he went on for 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, verse 42 in chapter 10, verse 43, and then verse 44, 10 verses later, while he was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on those who heard the word. This is interesting because in, he summarizes in chapter 11 and verse 15 by saying, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Notice that Peter didn't do a whole lot, did he? He he just began to speak. He didn't do enough here to make the result redound to his own glory or credit. The credit was obviously God's because God changed the hearts of the people far too quickly for Peter's, you know, grandiose eloquence to be the cause of their salvation. It was not. Peter's powerful speech, so, so to speak, was not that which effected the change in their hearts. Like Gideon's 300 men, they were not enough to battle the Midianites, were they? Neither were Peter's words enough to save the souls of those people who were there in the room at the time. Peter hardly did anything. God sent the Spirit to the listeners. So what Peter did then is that began to speak, just observing the Holy Spirit fell on them as upon us at the beginning. So he correlated what he was seeing with his eyes in Acts 10 with what he saw with his eyes in Acts 2. And he says, it's the same thing. This was the event that marked the church out as a new entity in Acts chapter 2. And now if the same thing is happening to them, guess what that means? They're being added to our church. Um, By the way, just an aside here. We know by means of this passage that the birthday of the church was Acts 2 because Peter says it was just like what the Lord promised in Acts 1, the same thing in Acts 10 and 11, and it obviously refers back to the events in chapter 2. So we know that the birthday of the church was in Acts chapter 2. So Peter concludes in verse 17. If, therefore, God gave them the same gift that he gave us, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, that I could withstand God. Peter could not argue with God. God was the giver of salvation. He was the author of life. All the gifts associated with salvation, even the gift of the Spirit, what he gave to the first Jewish believers is precisely the same as what he gave to these first Gentile believers. And that gift is specifically in this context the baptizing ministry of the Holy Spirit the Spirit of God baptizing. Remember Jesus said in Acts 1.5, you'll be baptized not many days hence with the Spirit, and that's what happened. That was promised, and it was then fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. So God gave the same things to the Gentiles. The Jews cannot criticize Peter for doing what God told him to do. Peter could not withstand God. No one at Cornelius' house could forbid water from them to be baptized. Remember that in Acts chapter 10, verse 47? Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? You six Jews, do you have any objections? They're like, not at all. Can't make any objection to that, Peter. Looks like God's working. This is God's works, not man's, and it cannot be stopped. It just simply cannot be stopped. Listen, think of, Passages like uh, Daniel chapter 4. When God does something, it says, verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He that is God does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? God decides to save the Gentiles, then, well, it's done. Deuteronomy chapter 3, uh, interesting, visiting Deuteronomy a couple of times this evening here. Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 24 is the same sentiment in it. O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant, your greatness, and your mighty hand. For what God in, is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and like your mighty deeds? And one other example, remember Gamaliel Gamaliel gives the, the uh, advice in Acts chapter 5. Looks, he says, if this work is of man, it'll come to nothing. But if, if this work is from God, you're going to be fighting against God, and you might as well just go home now. I'm paraphrasing because you're not going to get very far. So, you know, he was wise enough to know that. So now let's look at verse 18. Now, so the Jewish believers started with criticism. Peter responds with a review of the situation And now in verse 18, one final verse, the Jewish believers respond with praise. They doxologized God. They sang, as it were, they said a doxology. Upon hearing this, the scripture says they became silent. They became silent. They couldn't say anything. They were like, I mean... It was, as we say today, crickets. There was no response. Peter had buttoned up the case. He clearly showed that it was true. The six witnesses corroborated what he was saying. They were silent, these these, these circumcision people in the audience. They, They were thinking. It was a moment of awe at what God was doing, something that they never anticipated. Look, it was like the church when Paul got saved. They couldn't believe it. Remember that? They thought there's no way. I sure like God to do the same kind of thing today, to take the most unlikely, progressive, leftist, atheist, abortionist, whatever, and save that person's soul and look at your faces when you hear about it. (laughs) You say, no, God couldn't do that. He didn't do that. Oh, well, yes, he could do that. Yes, he could do that. Maybe we should pray to that end, huh? Be bold if he can save these Gentiles, if he can save Paul, then he can do a lot more as well. So uh, this was just an amazement to them. They couldn't believe their ears, they couldn't believe their eyes. It should not have been a surprise, of course, because they, if they knew their scriptures, they would know that God promised to work with Gentiles. We've gone over that a number of times. I'll let you look at those notes if you want to later. But now that they understood the situation, they responded by glorifying God. Listen, same people, same situation, same day, probably the same hour. But new information, and that new information was from God. Their response was totally different. Look what happened. In uh, verses 1 to 3, criticism of man turned into praise of God. Criticism of man. The same situation that minutes earlier they thought Peter was blameworthy. They realized no, God is creditworthy. Isn't that amazing? You see how a situation, you, if you don't know everything, it can look terrible. And then once you find out more, you realize, oh, my, it's actually very good. So they responded by glorifying God. They admitted that God was doing his work among the Gentiles. They, they honored God or doxologized him, as I say. They said the doxology, that's, that's the Greek word um, doxazo, to glorify. They honored God that way. And, and God should receive honor for what He's done, shouldn't He? He didn't have to do what He did for you, but He did. Notice at the end of the verse 18, it says, then God also has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Grant, that's the verb to give, okay? That's the Christmas gift under the tree. That is, God gave them gave the Gentiles repentance unto life. This is the gift. What, what is the gift? The gift is repentance. He gave them repentance. Repentance is the change of mind about sin and about God that comes upon a person when they turn from their idols, from their self, from their sin, from their money, from their pride, and instead turn to Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 nine how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Note that this is a change of mindset, please. It's a change of mindset. It is not behavioral perfection. It's not behavioral reformation. God grants that disposition of mind as a gift. You can ask Him for that. You say, Lord, I'm having trouble with that. God would you help me to be properly repentant, properly contrite, properly confessing my sin? And then thank God for that. This grant of repentance led to life instead of death. Christians use this to speak about eternal life, that what is eternal life? <laughs> It's a long life. It lasts forever, right? Well, it's really it has to do with the quality of life, not just the quantity of life. It's the state in which you're connected to God again. You know, when you're connected to the to the electrical socket, you can have power. But when you're unplugged and your battery runs out, what happens to you? You die. Salvation, repentance is that disposition of mind given to God that leads to God granting one life, and that life is like getting plugged back into the divine power source. The 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 uh, you know I'm the vine, you are the branches, being plugged into the vine so you can have that life giving flow going through you. If you get disconnected from God, if you know you are disconnected from God, if you stay disconnected from God, then your battery runs out and you're dead. But if you get plugged back in then you have the connection that is the state of rescue from sin and death. It's the life of nourishment and hydration from God instead of drying up and dying in your pursuit of sin. That's what eternal life is. It's connecting connecting to God through faith in Christ. Well, and this was given to the Gentiles. It was also given to the Jews, obviously, first. So chapter ten and the first part of eleven deal with a major stride forward for god's program and the gospel uh, you know we're we're used to that now I mean it's no big deal to us, but put yourself in the Jewish person's shoes and you would recognize that how how this shook their basic worldview. This is new. many preferred the old ways, remember the old wine and the new wine many prefer the old saying the old's better but uh this was new, this was different. Uh, some of them preferred the old ways and traveled down the path of circumcision party and even became Judaizers, perhaps, some of them. But the new way was on the world, the way of faith and the way that provides uh, e- you know, for eternal cleansing from sin. And so we commend that to you as something worthy of praise to God, not criticism of man. That's what the Jewish believers found out when Peter talked to them in Acts 11. Father, we pray that you would take these words and help us with the truth, the the, the sequence of events, to remember that and to know the applications that we talked about. Lord, about being patient, about learning the information, about praising you when uh, it's obvious that you're the one that's the cause of the blessings that are poured out upon us. Take each one here tonight safely. Uh, Those, Lord, listening online, too, I pray your blessing upon them. Thank you. I pray uh, for our brother, Mike, that he might uh, even be listening now and some of our other friends in the church family, brothers and sisters, and watch over them as us this evening. May your rich blessing attend their way. In Christ's name, amen.